It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Good afternoon and welcome to Talent Talk. I'm excited to have two fantastic guests on the show today. And we'll be looking to uh, really talk about culture, engagement, and really everything that gets us excited about talent uh, and managing our people and finding out what really talented people are doing uh, right now inside their companies, inside of uh, the organizations that they lead and the people that they are leading. So you know, I've, I've had the privilege of meeting so many inspiring leaders. But, you know, this used to be we used to meet a lot of them at conferences. Of course, that's changed uh, since COVID happened. And here we are in July and it feels like a whole new world. But there are so many fantastic leaders that have been rising up to the occasion that have been showing up uh, in really kind of cool ways. And we've been excited to talk to them. And we're going to have two of them on the show today. Uh, we've had so many amazing stories that have come out of, you know, out of the show and out of the uh, in, really inspiring stories that uh, our guests have told us. I've put a lot of those in my first book, The Power of Company Culture. Uh, you can check it out on Amazon or wherever you buy your books. Love to have you take a look at that and really hear about some of the best stories over the first five years of the radio show, as well as the story of my own company, People G2, the sponsor of this show, uh, and all the lessons that we learned in going from a traditional company into a remote-based company. So we are 100% remote companies. So if you're interested in learning more about us, uh, go to peopleg2.com. Talent Talk Radio is live every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And as I mentioned, uh, I think before you can access us, through, most people do is through the podcast on iTunes, iHeartRadio, maybe find us on Stitcher. And so big thank you to everyone who's tuning in regularly. We have over 10,000 downloads a day. Do We know we have a live audience every Tuesday, but most of you are coming in after the fact. So make sure go to one of those places and subscribe or go to talenttalkradio.com. You can subscribe there, and that way when a new episode is ready, it gets you get a little alert, uh, get notified, and that way you won't miss anything. For those of you that are listening live or maybe shortly thereafter, we do love to live tweet all the best uh, sort of one-liners, uh, mentions to books, uh, ways to reach our guests. And so if you follow at PeopleG2 or you monitor that hashtag talent talk, all one word, my social media coordinator, Angela, will be live uh, tweeting throughout the show, and you can kind of follow along there or go back and reference some of the best things uh, there as well. So take a look at that. All right. My guest today on the show will include Dr. Heather Myers, Chief Psychology Officer at, uh, at uh, let's see, it's at uh, Traintify. Hopefully I'm saying that right. And then we'll bring on Ben Brooks, founder and CEO of Pilot. Uh, ben will join me in the second half of the show. But let's go ahead and uh, bring Dr. Heather Myers in. Uh, Dr. Myers, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Dr. Myers, uh, you know, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you're doing, uh, what your work consists of, 
And, you know, what are the important things for us to know about you and your background for our, our conversation today? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I am the Chief Psychology Officer at Tradeify. My background is in psychology and statistics. So I have a PhD in psychology and personality psychology in particular, and a master's degree in statistics. And so I use those two together at Tradeify to really develop um, assessments that can be used throughout the employee life cycle, so for selection, but as well as learning and development. Um, and I work to create, validate those assessments, learning and development materials. So this is probably a loaded question, and I realize that. But, you know, what do you think about, uh, in general, a lot of the different personality platforms out there, the different ones that we maybe, maybe we know more historically, uh, and certainly want to then get into how that uh, feeds into what you're doing now uh, with Tradeify? Um, you know, it feels like there's some that are, my own opinion, that are good, that have value. And, and there's even some that are pretty popular out there that I find that I hate and don't seem to have any... <laughs> sort of any worth to me at all because they're so inconsistent and don't really seem to be aligned with what I need to know about the employee. So what do you sort of see that, that the spectrum of that environment? Yeah, I mean, personality is one of those areas where there's a large, uh, large spectrum of things out there. Um, I think many things are useful in different contexts. So there are obviously some really popular assessments um, that aren't as well validated as, as some others. Um, but again, depending upon how they're used, they might be useful in terms of some leading, uh, learning, development things. But the model of personality that I think is sort of really indisputable um, is the big five model of personality, and that's really the one that I tend to work in. And that's a model that really wasn't just based in one person's ideas about the way personality works, but is really... Um, came out of the study of linguistics and, you know, with the idea being that as we kind of talk about personality and language and we talk about these terms that, you know, the structure of personality will kind of come out. Um, and it basically finds these, you know, five dimensions um, and they're things that we've heard of. So it's openness to new experiences, intellectual curiosity, um, conscientiousness, so how people approach getting things done, introversion, extroversion, which is something that I think just about everyone talks about at some point in their life, um, you know, with their partner or their friends. And then there's a couple others. So one is uh, really about the altruism dimension. So that's agreeableness um, and how we put other people's needs before our own. And then the last one is around emotional stability, which is really about um, how we deal with stress and pressure and also how good we are by those things. So that model is really the one that I tend to go to when I think about personality and its structure because it's very well validated, you know, over 50 years of, of uh, validation research and also within the workspace. So I think that tends to be the one that I think of as being the most robust. But surely, you know, there are, as I said, you know, many other models out there. And depending upon, you know, what they're used for, they might be, you know, reasonable choices as well. So how does all of that and that understanding, and I guess even more broadly your background, how does that play into your role today over at uh, Tradeify? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's really important. I think being in psychology and having that particular understanding of personality means that I've spent a lot of time thinking about the ways in which people are wired to see the world. So the lenses through which we see the world impacts the behaviors that we have 
you know, at work and around us and the obstacles that we might have to doing specific jobs and or growing and developing. So I take all of that into account when I'm thinking about what kinds of things do we want to know about the people that we're working with and the people that we're going to hire? And then how can we help people grow and develop within those roles? And knowing this information just about the way people are wired, I think, is really useful for me. Um, And, you know, I, too, kind of grew up in a background where um, it was very kind of, you know, middle class. And, you know, my mother was a cashier at Walmart and my dad was a machinist. And so kind of thinking about how to apply these principles to people in the everyday world as well, not just in sort of executive level positions. So I think that those things taken together really influence the way that I approach assessment um, at Tradeify. Yeah, and I think that's that's certainly important. And, you know, no matter what, I guess, where people lie, I mean, it's often how we interpret that and how we choose, I guess, to assemble those different types of people. Um, I've made some, I would say, sort of weird discoveries about different uh, groups of people inside that big five that I would never have thought to have been, would have been correct. And I'll give you an example. I, I find that my introverted people are actually my best customer service people. And for a long because time we were hiring. Listen. I'm sorry? Because they listen. Because yes. introverts are great listeners. And <laughs> so that's, yeah, yeah. I'm not surprised by that. But it is it is counterintuitive. Right. We were putting all these extroverts in there. And not that we don't have successful extroverts as customer service people, but in general, we were looking at extroverts as, as this, you know, where, who, who should be in customer service because they were very, they're people people and they like to talk on the phone. My introverts are, like you said, great listeners. They empathize. They don't really want to be on the phone any longer than they have to, which makes them really effective as well. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's been really interesting to kind of think about those personality types and where they can really, you know, do their best work. And we, we found in reverse. We were like, well, what does our best employee look like in that department? And then, you know, we had two or three good examples and it was like, wait, they don't fit the criteria we thought we needed. They don't fit the job description at all. It was sort of the opposite. So do, do you see a lot of that where people find these sort of, you know, weird discoveries or things they didn't think of in, 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 in try and take what you guys are doing to help them be better with, you know, who they're placing where? We do. We absolutely do. Um, Sometimes we will start with a profile that a customer thinks is what they want based on their job descriptions or what they think is good. And then as more data comes in and we actually look to see, um, you know, we'll find indeed that what they thought they needed is not what they needed um, and that the data is actually bearing out something different. Um, One of my favorite uh, stories most recently is one of our clients, um, you know, we kept seeing a finding with openness to new experience that people who are higher in openness, this kind of creative problem solving, were actually doing better in the job. And that wasn't the way that the, you know, that we thought the performance would be initially. And so I sort of presented the data and we talked about it. And it turns out that they had implemented um, a new computer system into the job so people had to learn this and do things a different way and the people who were really um excelling at that were the people who were intellectually curious and wanted to try new things and so we had to adapt the profile that they were looking for um in order to get people that were more interested in using the kinds of uh, software that they were using right then and so i think that's the best thing about this it's it's very data driven as 
you know, as new data comes in. And sometimes what you need in a role changes as well. As the world changes, sometimes what you need to be successful changes. And so if you're looking at data over time, you can start to see those things and make those adjustments. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I guess, you know, I, I've probably taken way too many, uh, whether it's personality assessments or, you know, skills-based assessments over the years, just in the different roles that I've had and different responsibilities. But now to find that most employees aren't really being tested. I mean, especially if you get down to your hourly workers or your um, people kind of coming in with less experience, maybe people fresh out of, out of college, that they kind of seem to be getting a lot less. You know, does why maybe why does your company, why does what you're doing kind of I, I think you guys kind of focus on these segments? Maybe we can talk about why that's important, what you guys focus on. And do you think this sort of changes things for companies in ways they didn't expect? Yeah, I absolutely think those are great questions. For us, I think it was really our great candidate experience and the format that we have. Um, our assessment is, you know, it's relatively quick, right? It's about, most people, it's about 90 seconds. And so it's quick and it's images with short captions. So it's not long sentences. And we find that for people who have any difficulty, um, you know, any reading difficulties or have trouble, you know, deciphering these long, complicated sentences, they can see an image and a short caption and they understand it and they're interested in it and they want to take it. So we have very high completion rates. And they learn something interesting about themselves. And the reason I think we end up focusing a lot on the kind of hourly or high volume hires is because for the first time, we have an assessment that a lot of people want to take that gets great completion rates and that can be used to give them something interesting. So it's not a difficult part of the application process. It's easy. A lot of people will do it. And then it gives this great information to the hiring managers um, and to the actual managers of these employees that was never available before. And so I think this really opens up such a world for, for people who have kind of high volume hiring because they can use this information as part of the process when they're trying to figure out who's a good fit. And why? And we have, you know, interview questions that you can use uh, during the, the process as well. So it really uh, makes this information accessible in a way that it never was before. And our assessment can be taken on mobile devices and, in fact, was designed to be mobile first. So smartphones or tablets. So, again, more people can access it um, and it can be done remotely. You don't have to do it in person. So I think all of those things and the fact that it's applicable, that this same personality structure is applicable across any role or any industry is what makes this so unique and gives organizations for the first time access to this kind of information. Well, it's really interesting that you know, in the beginning of, of your response there, you were talking about images. And I, I, don't, I was thinking, do I have I taken anything where it's been images? It's usually some bit of text. It's somewhat complicated they keep changing the, you know, somewhat agree or more degree or you know, there's some level of complexity to that for people. Um, or at least you might get tired you know, as you're going through that test. And are you really being as thoughtful throughout that process if it's too long? So that idea of using images is sort of really interesting. You know, maybe you could talk about how you select those images or, or why maybe particular images are important in helping you make those uh, determinations about people. 
Yeah, you know, image selection is probably one of the more difficult parts of my job. But why? Um, well, because what we do is we start with what are the constructs, what are the concepts that we really want to measure? And, you know, often we'll write these kind of short captions with a sense of what kind of image we want to support that. Um, and then we need to go through our the databases of images that we have access to and really try to find one that matches that concept. So maybe the, the concept is... Um, is risk-taking, and so you want to see someone, okay, what is it, a concept that really illustrates that? So we have one that's like skydiving. Um, so that's definitely, if you're interested in that, you're interested in risk-taking, okay, so that's an image that kind of measures that. And then what we do is we start with way more image caption pairs um, than we think we'll need, and we test them. And we run them through a series of validation tests, and we ask people questions as basic as, do, do the image and captions match? Do they seem like they're measuring the same thing? And then we do more complicated testing around do images and caption pairs that are designed to kind of get at the same concepts, are those related to one another in the way that we think they should be and not related to things that they shouldn't be related to? And so we, through that kind of very long, extensive process, we then toss out any image caption pairs that are measuring things that we didn't intend for them to measure. Um, so it's, it's a very, um, it looks very quick and breezy and easy to take, but I can tell you there's been a lot of blood, sweat, and tears and image selection that goes into um, ending up with that kind of final set of um, image caption pairs that you see in the finished product. Well, since you have taken so much, I guess, time to really curate this to be the best test it can be, I notice that a lot of companies are going through a big sort of change right now where they maybe lost some people that were hourly or lost some part-time people. Maybe right now some people are not really quite ready to come back to work and they're going to continue maybe with the stimulus programs because our kids are still at home. And so noticing a lot of companies are doing a lot of hiring they didn't expect as they come back yeah, into opening, especially if maybe they were more of a retail business and things like that. What, what do you think that companies should expect uh, and maybe what should they be preparing for as they're seeing this sort of you know, giant increase in applications and how, how might they think about using a solution like yours to help them with that? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And it's also something that I've been thinking about and talking about with a lot of my colleagues because there will be other, you hear a lot of talk about this wave of hiring. But I don't think it'll be just one wave. I think there will be sort of continual waves. But there will be a lot more candidates applying to the same number of roles over time simply because more people have, you know, been furloughed or laid off um, during this, this time. And so we're going to see a lot more applicants for an individual role. And then, of course, we can't meet people in person. So there aren't going to be things like in-person interviews happening as much. So what can we do? I think it's so important to be able to streamline that process as much as you can. So, you know, whatever companies can do to pair an assessment like with their ATS or something that's integrated with it, they can really and make sure that those things can really handle the volume of applicants that are coming in. Um, and I think whatever information you can get to those hiring managers as soon as possible in an easily digestible manner that can just help them make decisions much more quickly about who they want to phone screen and then even suggestions around kind of what questions might you ask during phone screening. So if you have a tool like, for example, the Tradeify tool, which we have, which, you know, will allow 
individuals to complete the assessment as part of the application process, often in line, you know, we work with many ATSs as well, and then give a hiring manager like uh, a summary of this person seems like they're a good fit for this role um, or they're not a good fit and here's some reasons they might be a good fit and here's some reasons they might not be and here's some questions you maybe can ask them. It's just one of, it's just another data point um, in an easily digestible manner that they can use to help make better decisions and help filter through that large pool of applicants that they'll be seeing. Well, and and I think that uh, you're right. I mean, they're going to have this sort of waves. Uh, it's going to be more more than one. It's not just going to be everyone's going to hit it once. Um, and hopefully, I think we had this hope last time that that the the waves will come and we'll be able to build on those waves as opposed to going backwards, like we unfortunately sort of had to do this time, which which got everyone kind of off a of kilter a little bit. But I guess in having their ducks in a row and having the resources ready and having the right things in place, you know. Is there a certain amount of personalization that you think companies should be doing about their with their candidate experience, even if they have limited resources? That's an excellent question as well. I think that's so key. Um, and, you know, I think one of the coolest things that we've designed lately is um, a series of text messages or emails that can be sent back to the candidate as a give back. Um, here's some interesting information about yourself, about your personality and you know, these are some great things about you, and they, these are ways that you, you know, strengths you might want to touch upon during your interview. So we can send these emails that are customized and personalized back to the candidate. And in whatever ways companies can do that, and those are those are cheap, and they're very low cost uh, for both the employer, but they're a big, but they feel like a big gain to the candidate. Um, candidates get excited by that, and they feel like they've been seen and heard and are being considered um, and it just gives them some interesting information to think about as well. I think that's so important because, let's face it, we all want things to be personalized. No one wants to be applying for a job and then feel like you don't even know if they got your application, right? You feel like they've, you've been ghosted. You've put in an application and you never hear from anybody. That's a terrible feeling, and it's not good for your brand either if someone's applying for a job at you know, a large company and they never hear from that company again, it's going to sour them a little bit on that company. Oh, they don't care about me. I'm not going to buy their product. I don't want to do this. So if you can send people any give back just to let them know you've seen them, you've, you know, you're considering them and you appreciate them. I think that's so important on keeping, you know, companies really keeping that brand focus and also just making the applicant feel like, you know, they've been seen, which is just, you know, is so important for all of us right now. One of our favorite questions to ask our guests is, is there a book that you're reading these days that you might tell us about? Oh, that's funny. Uh, yes, there is actually a book that I'm reading these days um, written by one of my colleagues. It's called The Forever Transaction or How to Build a Subscription Model So Compelling Your Customers Will Never Want to Leave, um, which the title itself was uh, was really cool and intriguing to me. Um, but the I think one of the things that that ties in, that book happens to tie in nicely to what we were just talking about, because it's all about people want to feel like things are personalized to them. And, you know, we're, we want things to be easy and customized and something that we'll want. And um, I think that's just one of the things that, that uh, uh, the author um, talks about in this book. And it really helps 
to, I think, focus, um, you know, just make us realize again in this world of, of the Netflixes and the Amazon Primes, we're used to things being personalized. Um, and so the more we can do that in job processes as well, I think, you know, the better it is for all of us. Right. Well, Dr. Uh, Heather Myers, thank you so much for being on the show today. How can people get a hold of you or find out more about your company? Yes, absolutely. Um, well, certainly um, you can find me on LinkedIn if you just search uh, Dr. Heather Myers at Tradeify. Um, my email is, uh, I'm always happy to get emails, and that's easy. It's just Heather at Tradeify.com. Um, and I also am on Twitter as well. So, uh, yeah, happy to connect with, with anyone through any of those uh, sources. Fantastic. Well, again, thank you so much for being on the show. Hopefully we have you come back at some point and give us an update on all the things that you're doing. And we'll be right back with our second guest, uh, Ben Brooks, after this quick commercial break. OC Talk Radio. Streaming, not screaming. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news? Or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Uh, In case you missed uh, Dr. Heather Myers, we'll have the her interview, as well as the rest of this episode up here in the next week or two. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or go to talenttalkradio.com and subscribe there via Podbean. That way you get alerted and you know when the next episode is ready and you can take a listen there. All right, my next guest is Ben Brooks. He's the founder and CEO of Pilot. Uh, As a reminder, don't forget, we are tweeting live. Follow at PeopleG2 or use that hashtag TalentTalk and uh, we'll be putting all the best uh, kind of comments, quotes, uh, book suggestions, everything we talk about will also be there sort of documented as we go along. So uh, let's go ahead and bring him in. Ben, welcome to the show today. Chris, glad to be here. Well, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, what's important for us to know about you, and of course, please explain what your company Pilot does. Sure thing. Well, I must say I'm uh, impressed with the live tweeting on a podcast. This is the first that I've heard, so that's you're already at the next level so far with me. <laughs> um, I, uh, I, I get to talk to a lot of different um, thought leaders like yourself about the, the future of human resources and employee development. And I took, I'm a former senior vice president of HR. I became a CEO and executive coach um, and had a private practice and then thought, gosh, how do we get this to more people? So I founded Pilot. And Pilot is simply career development. It's very inclusive and easy for everyone. So we've taken technology to transform what is often something that's in very high demand and very short supply for HR, which is career development. So what was it that you were sort of seeing, I guess, and if we go one step or two steps back in your work, that you were seeing maybe at mass was sort of missing that you really wanted to address with this new offering? 
I think it's this this sort of almost like a secret in you know professional development and career management that nobody is there to do it for you. You know, maybe if you're an actor or a uh, a superstar athlete or something, you have an agent or someone that can figure it out. But we're all we all have to sort of be the agent in our own careers and truly to have agency. And I just saw so many people waiting for someone, whether it's their manager or HR, to like tell them what the next move was or how to be better. You know, people frustrated that they didn't have the, you know, work-life balance they wanted or they weren't getting the feedback that they wanted or they were bored and they weren't challenged. But so seldom were people doing anything about it. They weren't speaking up and they weren't really meeting their management and, and HR sort of at halfway. And so the idea was just this, you know, that we're all in charge. You know, we, the, the, when we founded the company, we had launched with a sort of slogan of command your career, this idea of sort of being in charge. And each of us often want different things in our careers, and it's our jobs as professionals to figure out what those things are and then to advocate for ourselves. Right, right. And, and I think now more than ever, uh, people uh, don't have that uh, sort of playbook. They don't have someone else doing those things for them. And now they find themselves in a completely different situation. You know, for a lot of people being sent totally. home to work, uh, as I mentioned earlier in the in the program today, my company's been remote since 2009. So this is normal to us. But to every most other companies, they are this is completely abnormal. And to ha- how to how to maybe manage your time as an employee, maybe how to how to manage your people. When suddenly you now you work from home when that wasn't your regular, maybe you could just walk down the hall and go talk to someone or check in on someone. So how do you think this sort of changes things, uh, especially in the context of our current work from home situation? Uh, how do you think this changes things, and, and what do you think it's really required of managers right now? Well, yeah, you know, Pilot is a 100% remote company just like yours, Chris, and I, um, you know, I know and believe that it can work, but as you know, we both know it requires totally different you know, technology, it requires different culture, it requires different skills and, and management. And the, you know, kind of the work from home we have now is a bit of a, a shotgun wedding that has happened, right? That, um, you know, that I saw some data recently that said, you know, businesses felt only about 3% of jobs could be done remotely. And now about 40% of jobs in America are being done remotely. And so, you know, it's been very disorienting, right? Because, Remote work requires a great deal of trust. You know, we have to work differently. We can't just, you know, fire up Zoom on the kitchen table and be in meetings nine hours a day. It just doesn't work. So we have to have more flexibility, more asynchronous work rather than synchronous work. You know, managers have to delegate and empower a great deal more with that trust. Show that they care personally, not just to get, you know, manage the performance or to get the work done. You have to build a relationship through Teams and Slack and Zoom, which is often, you know, uh, challenging and, you know, provide a lot of flexibility as well, because part of working from home is anyone that has kids or roommates or elderly parents or anything else, um, you know, it's animals, you know, all of it. It can be quite a dynamic situation when, you know, we hadn't really been set up for these sort of things. And so it's really upended. I mean, companies complained and employees complained that managers weren't good in, in the office, and it's extra challenging in this sort of baptism by fire work from home experiment. Yeah, and, you know, uh, one of the things that we found was that this work-life balance, which, which really also can mean the ability to have the autonomy to drive your, your, your life, your, your schedule, when you do your work, when you don't do your work, right? That kind of, for me, that all goes into that, that term. 
And then that was one of the most important yep. things for our people. And what I have found, though, with the current work from home slash COVID, I guess we put COVID down there as a denominator if this is a fraction, is yeah. that it is not what uh, remote work usually is. It is not a normal work from home situation because, as you mentioned, you have family there, you have your kids there, you have pets there, you might have uh, grandparents there. I mean, you are suddenly now quarantining with a group of people and trying to work with them. And work-life balance becomes much more difficult and becomes much less, I guess, integrated. I, I mean, before I would tell everyone work from home was like hours on hours of wonderfully focused, quiet time for me. Uh, that has <laughs> up and gone away. So, you know, what what are you seeing as really that the, has changed, you know, for 2020? Uh, and what should we be thinking about as the months go forward? Well, I mean, it, 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 like you said, with this quarantine and COVID, it's, really shifted things. And it's not just that we're working from home, right? We're working out from home. We are worshiping from home in our faith. You know, we are we're entertaining from home. We are learning from home. We are socializing. And, you know, oftentimes we'll think about role, goal, and context. You know, we have various roles in our lives, like friend or employee or spouse or roommate, right? Those roles have goals, and those goals exist in a context. And typically, each role often had its own context. If you go to the office to work, you'd go to, you know, the synagogue or a mosque or a church to worship. You'd go to the gym to work out, right? You go to the bar to, to, to be a friend, you know. Um, now all of those roles are in one context. So it's very blurry and disorienting. When am I working? When am I not? When does my day start? When does it end? You know? And so it's very hard to figure out because we'd often at work say, oh, I have a hard stop. Right? I got to leave at this time or I have to do this thing. And now, you know, I've been on Zoom calls and I hear, you know, you know, daddy, mommy, feed me. And you hear like you see fingers coming in under a door and all, you know, all these things that we just didn't have to factor before. And it's very confusing. And so I think it requires this work life integration really requires a great deal of understanding what your individual needs are. And if there's 10 of you on a team, there's probably 10 different unique configurations of what needs are. And you have to advocate and speak up for yourself because we don't know through a little screen that you've got something going on at the house or someone's sick or you've got to do a particular thing. So it requires us being a lot more transparent and to, you know, say, yes, I can do this or no, I can't do that. And not just, you know, get really stressed out and say yes to everything at work and have everything, you know, in other contexts and other roles become a mess. So what do you think leaders should be thinking about then right now? I mean, what, what's the best way for them to not only help their company meet their goals, but to make sure that their people are connected, that they are uh, maybe have the resources they need, or maybe just the, I guess, the, the empathy. I mean, whatever whatever the, that, you know, their, their direct reports may, may need. What, what do you think they should really be focused on right now? Well, yes, it's a great question because I think leadership, you know, is contextual, right? And the context is shifted. And in this context, one thing that's very important is to force people to take time off and not to burn vacation as a, you know, a crude, you know, benefit thing, but just people are usually used to going to the beach or the mountains or to a city for a vacation. Now that they're not going, they're often just working and people are getting very burned out. So on my team, we're talking a lot about who's taking vacation next, who hasn't taken time off. You know, we need that light at the end of the tunnel, even if it's just to stay home and to not work. But it also, you said on the empathy part, right, it's to, you know, to be, you know, present and available and flexible. You know, something comes up, right? It's like, okay, well, let's, we still have to get the work done, but like, you know, to, to not be exasperated if something needs to move or shift, 
right, to have that sort of agility. And I think also to show that you care. And that may be, you know, we, we, you know, we, we had a big win at our company, so we sent everyone a bottle of champagne at their house, you know, to create those sort of moments or connection, you know, write, you know, you know, write someone a card, you know, check in and instead of, you know, asking about the work, ask about the person, you know, ask how they're really doing. People are suffering with mental illness and a lot of other challenges and anxiety. And so to really, I think, have those sort of conversations that you may, you know, have over a drink, you know, you can do a virtual drink, but to really create the space to not just manage, right, and to get the work done, but yet to really manage the relationship. And so people feel, you know, that in the craziness of the world right now, they have a backstop of an employer and a manager that cares about them as a human being. So I've been working with a lot of different companies on the work from home strategy and even just simple things that they should be thinking about, they should be doing. And one that gets a, is a bit controversial, the thing that I really suggest that they, they do is to stop having one-on-one meetings. Now, I understand there are the situations where maybe someone is being written up, maybe there's a particular uh, uh, mentoring session. Maybe there, there's, there are reasons why you got to do it. But in general, my rule is stop having one-on-one meetings, uh, when, especially when you're remote, because it's so inefficient. It's hard to to really uh, get anything done if you're constantly meeting with people one-on-one basis and the communication slows down. It doesn't move as in the ways at which we think uh, maybe at a, a traditional brick-and-mortar company. But to what you were just talking about, I find it, intuitively you would think if I had this empathetic conversation with someone about what they're dealing with, that they would be more likely to open up to me in a one-on-one. And what I have found is if I get a group group of them together, almost like getting a group together for a drink mm-hmm. at a bar, Mm-hmm. They start commiserating together, and mm-hmm. there is there is hope and there is connection in having a group of people who are going through the same thing you are, and and that we end up getting a lot deeper and people share a lot more. And I'm now suddenly as the leader, not the one who's in charge of getting it out of all of them. They're all there for each other. Uh, I'm I'm wondering what your thoughts are and sort of that one-on-one versus that the the group thing, especially in the remote uh, context. Well, it's actually you know I I couldn't agree more. And it's a, it's a very con- fairly contrarian point of view, I'd say, that we both share on this. And, you know, it's pilot. My company is built upon group coaching rather than one-on-one because mm. you, you get the flywheel effect that you're talking about, which is it's like popcorn popping, right? One person shares and someone else, and then they feel a, a resonance or an attunement. They feel joined by someone. And the burden is not just on the manager or just the coach to generate or bring that, right? There's a, a sense of camaraderie and connection. And so even on our staff meeting yesterday with my team, I put, a, you know, just let's all have a moment to share. And, you know, the parents shared about, you know, the judgment and the uncertainty about what they're going to do with their kids and their communities. And other people shared about being sick of all this time with their spouses and other things. And it's not, I, I didn't know what was going to even come up, but a part of it is to your point is to create the space right and to create the the reflection and to have the moment and i do i'm all about efficiency gains and i do think that many one-on-ones i think one-on-ones can be extremely high roi but you have to manage them very tightly and most people don't so they're actually a very low roi because they're usually pretty sloppy and and loose and inefficient and i think that there's a lot of ways again to create that sense of belonging people don't have a water cooler or a pantry or an entry lobby or a cafeteria or a parking lot where you run into people and you ask how things are going and you get to share about yourself or your family or get a break from them. And so it's so important that we create those spaces and dynamics. 
Right. Absolutely. And, you know, for us having doing special projects and in, introducing like Scrum or Agile where we're crossing people from different departments into special projects is a way for us to have them bump into each other, like you said. But if you don't have something intentional, uh, if you don't have something that you're doing, you I think companies that are really be thinking about that is how do we get people to start bumping into each other virtually uh, in some way, whether, whether it's just a fun project, if it's a uh, a 30 minute, you know, social thing that you do on a Friday where you mix people. I mean, you got to find something where they can stay connected and bump into each other, like you said, and and maybe find ways to support each other as opposed to like we were saying, showing up for this sloppy one on one meeting where you, you talk informally 10 minutes about nothing. You complain yep. about something, then maybe go through a couple questions and then, you know, and it doesn't ever feel like it does very much. So, you know, another area that kind of has felt sloppy especially since COVID and, and, and when people move remote often is, is career development. Uh, how do you see this evolving for us, uh, you know, as our, our workforce becomes more and more remote? Well, first of all, you know, there's just the delivery, right? We're very used to in-person, whether that's, you know, training in a classroom or conference room. The, the vast majority of, of talent development and career development programs involve, you know, some sort of, you know, flying everybody in and, you know, in-person exercises and things. And so, it's got to be reimagined, and that's part of what we've been working on, you know, with Pilot is to figure out how do you include people that maybe work remotely permanently or are not able to travel and those sort of things. And so I think that there's the delivery part that's key, but there's also the sort of scope, you know, the fact we talk about these different contexts and setting boundaries and advocating and figuring out how to build relationships virtually. Uh, there are people, obviously, that, you know, in sales that learn how to do that or alliance management or things like that, a supply chain, but... But it's not something that a lot of us know how to do. And so career development also needs to teach us the sort of modern, you know, social skills and, and toolkit things that we didn't even know we needed to be good at. And so it's part of that kind of tying to that kind of whole person approach. And it also means, you know, we need to start a lot sooner, sooner both in sort of like a tenure at a company rather than, you know, we give career development to people that have been there five or ten years. I mean, increasingly I hear employers say, hey, we should give career development at the very beginning. Right. Get people in the right mindset, you know, and look at it as a journey and that every step matters and also at lower levels. You know, oftentimes we exclude people that are not people supervisors from career development. And yet about 80 to 85 percent of employees at most organizations are not people supervisors. And so we want to have it be there's a lot of talk about inclusion and diversity. Our programs have to be just bigger and reach more people and be more scalable and efficient and the last thing I'll mention is we've got to tell people that with remote work, you have to become more self-managed. You know, you've got to take on more of the managerial burden from yourself because there's no proximity. No one can see anything. It's less transparent. And that is just a higher bar for a professional to really organize and regulate themselves uh, in a way that can elevate the manager connection and conversations to be much more about the future and about growth and possibility and connection and relationship rather than sort of a valuative, you know, looking in the rearview mirror about, you know, micro performance matters. Right, right, absolutely. Well, the other thing that's, uh, you know, this year, if we didn't have enough to, to deal with, we've, we, we, and I think this is a good thing, but, you know, we've had quite a bit around diversity and inclusion and Black Lives Matter, and, and we've had a lot of, uh, of heavy social topics that have come uh, really to the forefront in 2020. It may be a little, little too late, and it should have come earlier, but it has come. And uh, you know, this has been a, a big topic and something that is a deeper conversation, I think, in a great way for a lot of companies that, that care about this. 
you know, what what are you seeing, I guess, if we look at it from, you know, how cultures can be more inclusive and more specifically, especially if we're not in a shared office, right? If we're, it's not necessarily Mm going to be reflective of the city that the headquarters is in, but I guess sort of reflective in a larger way. Uh, What what are you seeing there? Yeah, I mean, it's a a great point, Chris, and I'm seeing, obviously, and and, and I welcome the sort of increased awareness and, and outrage over injustices against, you know, various minorities and in BIPOC and black indigenous person of color communities, you know, have all the data shows we have a lot of work to do. And when we talk about kind of systemic and structural racism in society that also exists in organizations and in employment. And so despite a lot of very good efforts, and I'm I'm openly gay and did a lot of work in diversity around LGBT matters in my last uh, corporate job and, and, and really changed culture and benefits and recruiting and a and, and mentoring and a variety of other things, you know, so much of traditional diversity and inclusion efforts are, as you said, very office focused. There's, you know, an event, you bring in a speaker, you, um, you know, celebrate something, you, you put up posters, you have, you know, particular things in that regard. You know, you even take people to galas and dinners and conferences that are this very sort of physicality based thing. And when it comes to inclusion, What does inclusion look like when you may join a company and they FedEx you a laptop to your house? You've maybe never shook in the hand of your manager. And what does it mean to feel included if you're from a different profile or demographic or background? And as we know, people can be jerks in ways online and through technology that they would never be face to face. So I'm actually fearful that we're going to see, you know, more, whether it's microaggressions or, or, you know, maybe macro or bigger aggressions. Um, or less thoughtfulness around what it takes to uh, to you know fully participate. You know, people from different profiles and backgrounds have a translation tax in both you know them being understood by others and translating what things mean to them. I don't mean in language, right? This is just coming from a different you know prisms and paradigms and, and backgrounds. And I just think that we have so much work to do when we think about DNI or DE and I diversity, equity, and inclusion in this remote paradigm because all of the folks that are around this were doing this, as you said, at headquarters around physical things. And I think we're going to have to completely upend and rethink what this looks like because the nuance and the sensitivity and the the heart to heart kind of part of it, I think is very easy to get lost, even with the best tools in the market today. Well, with work from home and now, of course, we have of this to think about, you know, how much how much might HR's role shift and, and what part of, of all of this do, do they take on? Or is this something that maybe should be residing at this, the most senior levels of leadership with, with HR there to, there to help them execute? Yeah, I mean, I think it can't just be HR, but HR really needs to be the subject matter experts and part of the architect in all of this. And I think, you know, after the financial crisis, it was sort of the rise of the CFO. And you saw CFOs becoming more important, more likely successors, getting paid more, getting bigger budgets. And I really think that 2020 is probably the year of the CHRO. And, you know, The Economist wrote about this and some other uh, publications that this is going to be all eyes on HR for a few years to go. And it'll be DE&I, it'll be remote work, it'll be, you know, this use of technology and a lot of different things that need to, to change, even employment models and, and where we source talent and all those things. And, you know, the stakes are going to be pretty high. The expectations are going to be high. So HR will not be successful doing what they've done in the past. And some people are not going to make it. And other people are going to really rise. And I actually think 
HR could become, you know, one of the sexiest. You know, it used to be sort of marketing or technology were the kind of the places to be, and at times it was finance or could be ops. I really think this could be the moment where talent rushes to HR because I do think budgets are going to increase, the prominence is going to increase, the power is going to increase, but HR has got to really drive and, and design and deliver the change. You know, I think in the past, HR has helped implement someone else's change. I think HR needs to call the shot and then go, you know, crush it themselves and bring people along. And that's going to be a big, big, big pivot for the function and the people that lead it. Well, I hope you're right, because history has uh, has shown me in the past that HR has been given the largest issues to deal with and generally a 10% reduction in their budget. So <laughs> totally. they always seem to be viewed so, and, as and an expense, and, not as a... And that, <laughs> Totally. And I think that's going to be part of the, the advocacy, right, is, you know, to say what HR needs to start, start saying no a lot more. And, you know, other functions are very good at that. Hey, we can't deliver that and we won't do that. You know, sales seems to get whatever they need for hiring and for travel and events and whatever it means. And I think this is a big time for HR to say, like, I can't go do four times the work for a 10 percent budget cut, you know. And I think that'll yeah. be a big thing is just advocating. And, and if organizations are committed to this, you know, budgets are a reflection of value. Absolutely. Well, uh, how can people get a hold of you? How can they find out more about Pilot? What's the best way for them to do that? So our website, pilot.coach, C-O-A-C-H, slash podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T-S, is a great place where we got some resources. They can, you know, do some things on their own career for free. That's all available. Pilot.coach is a general website. I'm all over the internet, Twitter and Instagram and LinkedIn. I love to connect with people all over. I'm Ben Brooks, B-R-O-O-K-S-N-Y is in New York um, on all the different platforms. And I love to connect on LinkedIn. And if we can be of service and be a thought partner around career development and scaled coaching and all that, would love to be. And I uh, just encourage everyone to, you know, continue being lifelong learners and investing in yourself and, you know, being nimble and, so much of uh, a modern professional, the rest of this year, the, the back half of 2020 is going to be kind of regulating yourself and having that sort of resilience. And that's going to be less your technical skill that has you stand out and more how you treat others and your steadiness and, you know, ability to help others navigate this right. crazy year we're having. Well, Ben, it's been a pleasure. I look forward to having you back on the show one day. And hopefully uh, our listeners have gained uh, something uh, positive from hearing you talk today. So thank you so much for being on the show. Glad to be here. We'd love to come back, and I learned a lot from you, Chris, so thank you. All right. We'll be back uh, next week with our next show. Uh, until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2. 